What is life after leadership like? What happens with you as a person when you leave a high-powered, highly visible role in civil society? What happens with your sense of identity? What kinds of letting go are involved in that? What kinds of shifts need to happen in what gives you purpose and drive and what gives you pleasure? And how much does this transition to life after leadership have to do with identity and perhaps ego as well? Today, I'm interviewing Sam Worthington, former president and CEO of Interaction, the influential umbrella organization representing U.S. INGOs. I have always known Sam to be a thoughtful and self-reflective person. That shows again in this episode. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to NGO Soul and Strategy, the podcast for NGO leaders and managers who look change right in the eye. My name is Tosca Bruno van Vijveken, and I'm the founder and principal consultant at Five Oaks Consulting. I have over three decades of experience helping leaders in civil society manage change, invest in cutting edge leadership development, lead organizational culture change, and strengthen effectiveness. I'm also a thought leader on these issues, including as co-author of the book, Between Power and Irrelevance, The Future of Transnational NGOs, which is read by civil society leaders across the globe. If you are such a leader and want to look change right in the eye, this podcast is for you. Hello, everybody. This is NGO Soul and Strategy, and this is Tosca. We have a special episode today. I'm really looking forward to this. Let me ask you some questions. These questions are relevant for some of us, not yet so relevant to uh, to all of us. But the question is, what is life after leadership like? What What happens with you as a person when you leave a high-powered, highly visible role in civil society? What happens with your sense of identity? What kinds of letting go are involved in that? What kinds of shifts in what gives you purpose and drive and what gives you pleasure have to happen then? How much does this have to do with identity and perhaps with ego as well? That's the purpose of this episode. And it's something that I myself in my own life am also starting to think about. Today, I am interviewing Sam Worthington former president and CEO of Interaction. We'll explain in a moment, he will, what, what Interaction is. And Sam and I go, go back away. We knew each other when he was the Interaction president, as I just said, and I was just one of the many Interaction member representatives. He spoke to our students at Syracuse University when I was still a pracademic, and he was a contributor to an early version of the Leadership Institute that I used to lead. Later. I was lucky enough to be elected to Interaction's board, so I observed Sims, uh, Sam's leadership that way. Sam stepped down in late 2022, and now, almost a year later, it is the perfect time to ask him to reflect on what's life after leadership like. And I want to frame our conversation a little bit based on a recent article in The Atlantic here in the U.S., 
an American magazine by David Brooks. He's a well-known journalist and uh, pundit. And his article that is called The New Old Age, and I'm now quoting, In the 21st century, another new phase is developing between the career phase and, and I cannot pronounce this word well, senescence. I hope I did it okay. People are living longer lives. If you're 60 right now, you have a roughly 50% chance of reaching 90. In other words, you can expect to have another 20 years before your mind and body begin their steepest decline. It is this recognition of loss that is uh, something that some people experience. And so questions like, who am I? What's my purpose? What do I really want? Do I matter? Are perhaps becoming relevant once again in a new way. That, again, is the focus of this interview. And with that long intro, welcome, Sam. Welcome, Tosca. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I am so looking forward to this conversation. So quick bio. As I said, Sam was the president and CEO of Interaction, and he'll be telling us in a moment what Interaction is. For those of us, uh, again, we have a global audience who do not know about Interaction. Before that, he was also the president and CEO of Plan International USA, and he was an executive director at the Delphi Institute at World Learning, which is a U.S. NGO. So, Sam, let's go. Let's start with uh, recapping. What is interaction for the maybe not too many, but still who don't know what it is? And what was the role you played there for about 16 years? So the U.S. international nonprofit sector, so the U.S. NGO sector that works around the world, um, developed about 40 years ago an apex organization, which is the place where it does its policy thinking, where it does its advocacy, its learning, its attempt to uh, influence the U.S. government and the U.N., and mm. Interaction serves that purpose. Uh, and I was, in essence, its uh, executive in that role i represented in a formal way the u.s uh, ngo sector at the highest levels of the u.n white house other places but also in that role i was able to create a safe place for executives to reflect on what it means to lead on how to tackle these complex difficult jobs and recognize that you're not alone in doing this but that you have peers going through very similar things That's so it was an right. apex visible role uh, that I had a great pleasure doing for some 16 years. Yes, and a very visible role, not just to be members of interaction, but uh, not, and not just the U.S. government, but governments all over the world, international uh, governing bodies, right? You were very uh, visible globally, isn't it? Yes, and in some ways, you, you're carrying this interesting mantle of your, your you become the voice of a sector, no one could be the voice of a sector, but you become, since we need leaders to play these roles and to step in a room, and sometimes there's only one civil society entity in the room, I would joke at times, I need my little interaction flag because everyone else has a flag around the table in this room. Um, but it was an opportunity to serve a broader community um, and, and try to hold it together during difficult times. Um, and particularly since it's a community where a lot of the pressures on individual executives and organizations are their own well-being, their own resources. And yet there are times when you need to step back and go, well, what is the collective here? What is the role 
of the collective NGO sector. So I think there's a deep accountability that comes for the role. Interactions members manage some $15 billion a year, which three quarters come from private resources. So you're in essence, a pool of resources that make this community a large donor at a time of shifting power and different dynamics around the world. So in that capacity, I was both you know, sort of a leader, but I also viewed myself as a subset of broader global civil society. Um, I would be the of American course. here, but just one part of global civil society representing not a country, but a subset of U.S. civil society very interested in what happens in the world. That's right. So in short, you were a big deal, right? And so now I want to, I would like this, uh, our conversation to be really focusing on your kind of personal state of mind from the time around the time you left till now, about a year later. And what happened with your, as I said before, your identity um, and your sense of self uh, since you left. So let's go back to that, let's say the last part of 2022 when you were getting ready to 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 leave interaction and to leave this position of clearly a positional power if you will mm-hmm. to join or to start your next phase in life so what happened with you from a mental and psychological perspective are you able and willing to tell us a little bit about that sure it's not a small I, thing not a small thing at all and i was fortunate in some ways and and frustrated in others i mean i was fortunate in the sense that I knew a year beforehand that I was leaving. So it wasn't, I, I had a chance to sort of slowly disengage um, mm. on all sorts of fronts. So it was like, no, you know, someone else should take this high level meeting at the White House. So whatever the meeting is or what the activity was, I, I had an opportunity to sort of constantly let go. So that process of letting go, I viewed as something that I started way before uh, I ended that sort of period of, of uh, sort of ending of it. Um, so I think that was healthy in the sense. The I don't know if there's anything as such thing as a smooth transition in a sense. My my challenge here was I wasn't a founder because Interaction had lots of success before I did, but 16 years right. is long enough so that everything mm-hmm. there is your mistake or your creation. Um, and so you have this sort of attachment to having created something. Um, and the process of letting go happened rather rapidly with all of a sudden it was like, we don't want you making any executive decisions. It's like, I'm still around for two months. Hmm. Really? Uh, okay. Um, I'll, I'll let go of that. So there was this process of letting go um, that accelerated rapidly. Um, so there's, and the initial reaction is, is actually one of a, oh, thank God, that is off my shoulders. Um, yeah. the, the, the plane did not crash while I was there. It was, it's finally not my responsibility. So there was sort of this breath of fresh air and we went and spent time in the mountains for our family and just decompressed and just completely let go of that. Yeah. And then you come back and, you know, my wife went back to her job and there is no job. There's, there's, there's sort of a quiet period. And so mm-hmm. how did I feel that? So in one level, it was, um, what was interesting and sort of when I reflect on this, 
missing the power was not something I felt. Um, I it's sort already of a stage. Can you talk of more life. about that? I, you, you, I was fortunate, well, fortunate, whatever, unfortunate, whatever. You know, mm. in my thirties, I become a, a CEO. You know, I've been in, was an executive, was an executive for for twenty nine years, an enormous amount of time That's in long. that role. And it's not that you get tired of it; you just don't. There isn't a desire to prove oneself at a certain point. You know, mm. you you you're you're not interested in ego. I need to be in the Washington Post or any whatever it is. That is not a driver. Mm. It's more. Are there things that I care about, and how do I get those off the ground? And will those things last longer than I'm around? And and how do they, you know, how do, how will that? So, do you leave a legacy, in essence, of some meaningful thing? Will this community be in a different space after I'm gone for a long time because of the role I played? There is a legacy dimension that definitely plays in there, but it's not a, you know, I'm the center of the room. I'm I'm inherently. A rather shy person, um, uh, just by nature. I'm sort of an introvert, um, and I've trained myself. I could only talk in front of 500 people, but that's not my comfort zone. I'd rather mm. be out in the woods, and so that uh, that loss wasn't something I felt. What I felt, and what was sort of the acute loss, was you. I'd spent my entire working life surrounded by people and their minds and their ideas and so forth as peers, colleagues, and so forth yeah. as sort of a camaraderie of people around you, whether yeah. you agreed with them or not, is right. then gone. Yeah. So there's this loss of a, it's almost like you've been, you, you've been the, the village chief and you're now asked to no longer be in the village. And mm. you're, you're all of a sudden not part of that village. And I had made a conscious decision based on some very good advice I'd received that for at least six months, that it was my job not to engage with that village at all, that I had to disconnect myself for my sake and its sake. So you did that fairly drastically based also on the advice you got. I... I didn't reach out to any CEOs. I didn't have lunches. I, uh, the organization ended up having a difficult transition where the person who replaced me uh, ended up leaving within five months. Um, I didn't interfere. I didn't engage. I didn't. Uh, I purposely disconnected, even though it, sometimes I was asked, "Sam, can you do something about X, Y, or Z?" I viewed it as it's unhealthy for me to actually step in in any way whatsoever um, okay so also you and your um uh successor did that had an, a compact with each other that you would drastically um uh, step back and not um in any way it was a compact with myself not with my successor um okay because they they were engaged with the organization the board and they left in about five months um and so i my compact was that no matter what staff say or external government people say or whatever is said by anyone, it is not my role to engage um, in that process, Yeah, uh, whether it's positive or not positive in that mix. 
Right. And then once I hit six months, all of a sudden the organization is in a new transition because it has an interim person. Mm-hmm. And so there it was like, well, let me have lunch, at least someone I know well, and chat with them and, and get acquainted. And and there was part of me that had hoped that that I would be tapped for occasional thoughts now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of it is when you leave a, a, a leadership role or if you are at a point of your sort of primary career ends, the irony is it ends when you were actually at your most talented, at your most knowledgeable. You've, I've got the most wisdom I've accrued now than I did mm-hmm. five years, 10 years, 20 years back. Mm-hmm. And that wisdom is sort of, is, is not of interest to people, which is an interesting phenomenon. And so that's where I was like, okay, do I want to, sh- to push for that knowledge to be shared yeah. Yeah. or not? And I viewed it as, no, I don't. I could sit back and write a book, which is sort of a fun way to sort of get knowledge and thoughts out. But that it really, for my own ego, sense like that, that it wasn't healthy for me to sort of, you know, I need to show that I'm still relevant or I have ideas that they're, that it's actually yeah. someone else's yeah. period to do that. I have experienced that in a much more minor way than you, but there is a little bit of pain in my case, at least involved first, and then a realization like this is may well be good for everybody involved. And as you said, I can, I can share my knowledge with those who are interested in different ways. Was that for you at all painful? Painful. I think the pain is, is a sense of, there clearly is a sense is my identity is no longer the public person I had. Yeah. And that that's fine. And, and, but I'd also come to terms a long time ago is my public persona is not my identity entirely. That is not who I am. Uh, so I was more interested in the, the principles behind the public identity. Um, and there it was good for ego in a sense of how people sort of in their comments leaving and so forth. The comment that I heard the most that was I liked was, you know, Sam listened to me and paid attention to me, even though he didn't need to. And mm-hmm. that, that, that he helped me in a personal way in circumstance X, Y, or Z. Mm. And that was interesting because it was that during, while doing that, I, that's not something that I thought was the main part of my job, but it's something that I seem to do and seem to have been appreciated. That was and that valued. was that valued and that I valued of sort of, okay, so this is, you know, the, the job part is relevant, but did, was, was I caught up in the power and the dynamics of this? Or was I engaging with people as people, as humans with their challenges? It was nice to hear that validated. That and the people where, side was very equally important to the power side. Mm. And, at least to me. And so that's where I then uh, said, okay, there's a void on this people side. What do I put into that place? And I found that I was was doing sort of mentoring, executive coaching of newer executives but very powerful executives as something i just thoroughly enjoyed 
but I consciously didn't do it with the interaction community. Not with the interaction community. Let's let's we'll come back to your uh, the, the activities and the yeah. new purposes yeah. that you've developed and the new sources of you know reward, pleasure, etc. Since you left, but you wrote to me in an email um, before we started recording. You said, "I'm now enjoying both a different pace and focus." I could imagine what you mean by that, but I'd love to hear it directly from you. What is that different pace and focus? It is amazing how fast executives are running themselves into the ground. And they're mm -hmm. just one item after another. They're just this busyness that you watch people that I kept up for a long time. And when you don't have that need of, I don't have three crises for tomorrow, or I don't have to mm -hmm. prepare some for something like that. There is this removal of um, sort of the adrenaline. Of yeah. these roles. Yeah. And if that's all I live for, I would have been lost because yeah. all of a sudden there wasn't an adrenaline. But I, I like the adrenaline, but I also like, um, you know, going out and you're in the Colorado River and it's a starry night and you're in nature and there's something about just being human and small. And uh, not that the big awe. in the grand scheme of things. The, the awe, awe of what's around you, the, the beauty yeah. of nature, the 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 sense of that. So, and that and I, your mind was probably less. There was no part of your less, mind that was not thinking. Okay, but what back home? Mm. You could be more present. You could be uh, uh, sort of slower, more moving from a doing to a being state. Um, uh, what I missed, uh, and I think this is, this is the harder part, was I, there are some people I spent a lot of time with mm. in my previous role that all of a sudden I wasn't spending time with. And because there was leadership transitions and challenges and so forth, I couldn't spend time with. So you did, you had a sense of, uh, loss not loss of friends but loss of colleagues and loss of of uh you know you sort of step back and going was that just a transaction they just had me for the role i was in or were we actually human beings relating to each other and my sense is we were human beings relating to each other but there is so much of people tied up in their roles that mm. it it makes it difficult i did go out and go well can i convened other groups and got invited to you know to play leadership role and the the chair of the advisory council of the you know sort of national un association of the capital area and there i could convene people and all of a sudden i'm in a room and i've got people from think tanks and former you know assistant secretaries of state and senior people from the un and and I could pull some NGO CEOs in the mix and, you know, you could send something off and it's like, my goodness, the U S ambassador to the UN just wrote to me back in, in an hour. And so you realize that you're still plugged in to some extent. You have a brand that allows you to do this, Yeah. but that then start asking the question of like, why what, do I, what am I doing this for? 
And is it because I just love convening? And the realization that I actually like the ideas, I like the bantering about and playing with ideas and try to influence things, but that I didn't need the sort of platform of being the convener and spokesperson anymore. So, and by the way, you live in a city. I I don't live there, but uh, in a city, Washington D.C., that is, of course, I mean, cliche maybe and simplification for sure, but is populated by a lot of people for whom positional power, prestige, brand, etc., and access to people with power is incredible, important currency. Right. So, uh, it, it, you wouldn't be the first one who would find it all the harder to let go of this professional identity of your past? I mean, I, I, I think, yes, so you let go of access and power and so forth. I think it was, it's more um, the, the, the joy of being in a room of people who have good ideas and who banter things about and are you trying to solve some problem? That what was more motivating than... I'm in a room of important people. And I, I even you know, 10, 15 years ago, I, my comment to my family is I had another one of those silly meetings that I'm sort of in. And okay, by that, it's sort of, okay, you're with Antonio Guterres. You, know, you can start dropping names of the type of people you're in rooms with spending a day, day in Geneva and whatever it may be to realizing they're actually just sort of interesting people and forgetting what their titles are. Um, mm. And that's a real position of privilege to be able to be in a room like that and sort of forget that so-and-so is X and more look at them as the person. Yeah. Um, and once that's gone, then it's more, well, those who are less interested in the position of power and who are less interested in you know, being in the important room and so forth, and but want to talk about ideas and so forth. Those are the people I would like to hang out with. And you still and, can, right? And you still and I are. still can. And so the question is, you could, but it's interesting looking at the work world out there, which I'm not part of, is so many people are so busy positioning themselves in the work world that they yeah. miss the fact that it's their relationship with human beings that is actually going to be the lasting thing. Yeah, and that's that's now a theme. You've you've said that a couple of times already in this interview, so that's interesting to me. Now, let's talk for a moment about what you practically do, right? Now, see, because you wrote to me, one can still lead, but in a very different way. So tell us about the activities that you now channel your professional contributions through. You mentioned mentoring. In what I had planned a year ago or even six months ago mm -hmm. is is not what I'm doing. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. You know, I sort of, okay, well, I'll do some boards and I could uh, relatively, you know, assume some leadership roles on boards or globally. Okay. There I consciously, I used to be a plan international. I'm now on the U.S. board. I'm starting to engage with the global organization. I'm fascinated in the sort of transfer of power shift with the global south. I've been in different roles in this. Now, I'm, now let's, from a governance perspective, let me sit and look at it from that vantage point. So that was conscious. The idea of writing thoughts and and here are some insights gleaned over you know, a 40-year career in the NGO sector. That's a conscious thing to do. What I hadn't 
thought that I would end up doing was actually having hour-long conversations with new executives or executives and challenges and so forth, very personal one-on-one conversations about the complexity of their job. And the sole purpose is my support of them. Mm. That there is no, I'm not, no interest in doing their job, no interest in providing the right answer, but the sole purpose is can I help them feel less alone? Can I give them insights of, I did this five or six different times, worked three or out of four, whatever it was, can I share some insights? But finding value through someone rather than doing oneself. Yeah. And that's an interesting because it's it's more of a a servant role in a sense. Because mm-hmm. um, if it's working, no one knows that you're doing this except right. for the one person you're talking to. And right. and it's more their feedback of well that was meaningful or that helped me through a difficult circumstance. So there is there is a a desire, I have had a desire to give back sort of all this accrued knowledge and I want to give back. And I have found, which I had not anticipated, that it was actually the one-on-one giving back in a private setting mm-hmm. ended up having more meaning for me than any public giving back or attempts to play public roles after I left interaction. Right. Very, very interesting um, and makes sense to me. Now, you we're going to talk uh, also in a moment about the book, or maybe you wrote two, maybe even two books that you're writing. But before we get that, you did mention also that you sometimes still get called into high-level meetings, not clearly because of your past role with interaction, and but just as Sam the person. And that that was a surprise to you. My question then is, is does that type of presence in that type of meeting with Sam as the individual, right? Not as the person with the role. Does that ever cause any issues that a perception that you might not truly want to let go of your old role or the identity that goes with that or the, the risk of being perceived as stepping on other people's toes? I'm curious. So I had thought that once I left and stopped being the president and CEO of Interaction, that that access was because I was president and CEO of Interaction. Mm. I hadn't I hadn't anticipated that being in a role for a long time in this small town um, of Washington, D.C. in the international development field or general field is that you develop a reputation over time and a certain brand and access over time. I presume that that's going to end relatively Mm -hmm. soon, but I've been surprised that when I've wanted to reach out to someone and say, can you pay attention to me over here? I have something to say. And it's a very senior person that they actually answer as not there's no interaction there it's just sam has a thought and so that i found surprising that there was a a carrying of a personal brand um yeah that, that carried over that carried over that i presume is going to less with time as the contact shift and so forth 
I so would imagine. there is something about reputational brand that is in a, from a leadership role, once you leave, it doesn't just turn off. It mm. carries with you. Mm. The, and, but the other side yeah. of that, yeah. The the other side is you you know so you're stepping on toes and other things like that. Yeah. The nice thing is you, you're not worried about the other people's toes. <laughs> There's no okay if I say something it's a little too edgy for there, there's no having for years gone okay i'm saying something how is that going to play out politically among hundreds of organizations and will I this get, get me in trouble now the worst thing that happens i don't get asked to talk again um <laughs> but it's more that you're sort of unfiltered in a sense that yeah that the the return to the principles is easier because you don't have the political side of caution associated with a political role is gone. So you go back to, well, what do I actually believe in? What is what is the the answer I should be giving here? Yeah. Yeah. The other observation is people are not calling, asking for that opinion very often. They're not, the phone stops ringing. <laughs> That's simple. It's that simple. Yeah. So that is the other side though. Yeah. Um, now talking about, you use the word unfiltered. So you're writing a book or two. Obviously, mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you now, what are these one or two books about? Give us a, a flavor. And then secondly, I want to ask you, you wrote, my current writing is more candid than a year ago. I, I'd love to for you to tell us more about that. But first, what are you writing about? And part of it is, I say a book or two, because it's sort of like I have to decide which, who my audience is here. And I have slightly mm. two different audiences I'm writing to. Okay. Um, and whether I combine them in one thing is, is we'll see, or we, maybe there are two things. One of them is, is the more basics. If you are in your mid-30s and you are joining Interaction or you are coming into the NGO sector, over the years, I've observed that people would come into the sector and have their master's degree in international development policy, whatever their, their degree is in, mm -hmm. and they know a slice of the sector very well. Their understanding of the big picture is very limited. And one of the real privileges I had was since I sort of sat in a role where I could see what dozens and dozens of executives were doing across different types of organizations and purposes and mission, that you get a much broader understanding of what the U.S. international NGO sector is than mm -hmm. if you're sitting in one organization. So of course, there are insights in that role that I thought would be useful to share if someone come in. If you want to understand the NGO sector, it's more complex and more diverse than, than you are with its flaws and its strengths. I do have a bias. And the bias reflects my past is for all the flaws these organizations have, they actually have a really relevant role in the world. Mm, a necessary and, role, as you've said. You know, what is that necessary role? How, where should they go? So forth. So that's one story. What? May I ask you a quick follow-up question on that, sure. Sam? Uh, this is maybe actually more a pitch to be truthful. Um, I hope you will also... Uh, in that providing through this book the understanding of the whole sector also maybe shine your valuable light on how you think that the U.S. 
NGO sector is perceived by others in the world, right? You and I have sometimes compared notes right. on that and how they, so both sides, how the US sector perceives other INGOs of a global north founded nature, particularly, and vice versa. That's just my pitch. You don't have to, of course, but I could help myself. I mean, I, I've been careful of, okay, here I am a white male privilege, global north, US passport, ability to bounce in and out of different countries. Okay, yes, I've been to multiple war zones, but it, you know, it's it's I'm coming from a position of of significant influence. So one thing I've made sure I didn't want to do, make sure I didn't do it, is I'm speaking from where I've come from. I can't mm -hmm. say what others want in that mix. So it's not a counter to your pitch, but it is sort of I am speaking where I'm where at least from on my vantage point. That said, the bulk of what you want to call it critique or or sort of analysis is is what do you, what is local what is this all about you know who who is the agent of change here mm -hmm. um who are the heroes involved in a change process and so that uh, uh sense of it's not about you northern ngos um you're just one part of this and so how do you contribute? And by the way, these types of funding are fundamentally at odds with the stated values of local power. Um, yeah. In some ways, U.S. government money is, for all this, the goals stated, they're the, one of the primary concerns of U.S. government is make sure taxpayer dollars are well spent. Well, that's a different goal than I am accompanying you in your change process. So yeah. in that sense, I could be more blunt in that sense of localization from Sam's perspective, both in a critique of localization, but also a critique of, well, what is it you're actually trying to get towards in that process? Yeah. I was actually more thinking in my question, I probably wasn't clear. I was, for instance, how do European INGOs see American yeah. NGOs or other Global North founded uh, NGOs? How do they see the, the stance and the, the behaviors of US NGOs and vice versa? That was more the angle right. of my... The, the Europe, US, and as someone who grew yeah. up in Europe, I... I I could see yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, I, that's a, I haven't gone there, but I could go there. I think it's useful to go to because it is, there is a, um, well, we're all products of our culture and where we come from. And there's a certain uh, American hubris of we're the center without playing in the broader, you know, engage with the rest of the world. And well, that's, so, yeah. And so without going into more into this in this interview, I, I am primarily saying I think that would be also very valuable for you to shine your light on that. Now, back to your, you said you had a second audience. Well, the second audience, and this is whether it's a separate book or so forth, and the title, working title used for this part is sort of a prisoner of hope. And it it mirrors mm -hmm. some of my last comments to the to the CEO group when I left. Um, I come out of this as someone who remains optimistic and hopeful about humanity's future. Mm -hmm. And so how do you do that at a time when, you know, people are fighting over hospitals in Gaza and I've been in Gaza and how yeah. do you do this at a time when 
you know, what climate change is doing to the world and so forth. Yeah. And where I'd come out is sort of stories I've collected over the years is no matter how tough the environment, no matter how difficult the circumstances, there is always or there are always local individuals who have chosen and taken upon themselves to do what they can to improve the circumstances of their neighbors yep. and their world around them. So there's yep. always someone whose circumstances are much, much more complicated and difficult than ours who are not complaining about how bad the world is and if you know why isn't you know the traffic behaving the way it should be doing or whatever it is that people complain about who are actually in very difficult circumstances who spend their lives trying to improve the lives of others and these people are not heroes they're just normal human beings i call them local heroes but they're just normal human beings who have made a choice of improving human well-being is something i value yeah. And that is replicated all over the world times millions Absolutely. and millions of individuals. And our media doesn't cover that. Our media covers when everything something breaks or is wrong yeah. or but yeah. this it doesn't cover the the sense of that we as humanity have decided to uplift ourselves and that within that mix is not just a family doing it, but that there are individuals who have chosen to do it for their neighbors or their broader community. And it is a broader sort of civil society creation, this idea that I imagine the world to be a better place. And what I wanted to affirm is I'm still convinced of that. And I'm still in awe of what people do. And we in you know the NGO world would go, you know, someone went to our field visit, quote unquote, and came back. You went to a very difficult place. You were in Darfur or where it was, and you came back sort of amazed. Not you see the horror, you see the bad things, but they're actually individuals doing some powerfully positive things. And I think that's a story we all need to hear need and to remind hear. ourselves a bit. Yeah. And that, and that is a reason for hope, is, you're saying. Yeah. There is a reason for hope. And you said your current writing is more candid than a year ago. What's that about? I part of it is I, you know, I poke at some foundations. I poke at the power of money in a way that I didn't before. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there's a certain rhetoric around we're going to do things, and and the answer is I am. Uh, I would say disturbed. I've always been aware of it, but there, the system, there is no such thing as money without the use of power. That someone, you mean it's it's not possible to have those types of uh, and volumes of money without power. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So either yeah. either it's your own money or your own generated resources. But but I believe in an interconnected world. So what is that? Let's be open. Don't rather than say it should go away or the world should be somehow. You know, let's shift the power and have no power associated with money. Well, that's naive in the sense that the, there is always going to be something associated with the money. So the question is, what is that? Where is the? Do I want these resources? Um, do they make sense? And and there are types of resources that have more strings associated than others. Mm. And the more <laughs> formal the resources, the greater the strings. 
Got it. So that's what you also want to write about. Um, so looking at the time, as we start to slowly bring this interview to a close, I just want to um, quote you something from a book that you and I have both read uh, by Arthur Brooks, another American author, and he's written a book called From Strength to Strength. And I want to uh, quote this 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 part. He says, uh, many of us assume that the more successful we are, the less susceptible we become to the sense of professional and social irrelevance that often accompanies aging. But the truth is, he says, the greater our achievements and our attachment to them, the more we notice our decline and the more painful it is when it occurs. So what can we do now, he says, to make our older years a time of happiness, purpose, and yes, success. So you, we have talked about a couple of dimensions of this as we um, bring this interview to a close. How do you reflect upon that? There is a, there's no, undeniably, there's a sense of loss, of a letting go. At the same time, you know, it, it has been quite a while since I realized that, you know, there's some 30-something who's smarter than I am, who's more able to do things faster and quicker. But as one gets older, it's the connections that one makes, the sort of seeing the interlinking of ideas, the the wisdom, the knowledge accrued. Mm. And so by shifting towards the sharing of that knowledge, that sharing of that wisdom does give deep meaning. It's just a different form of meaning than I have a role, I have a title, or I'm you know, able to dazzle a room, which is, I can't. But what one can do is make connections and see context and the relevance of and the irrelevance of things to worry about that make life for someone who's in that fast lane a bit easier. Mm. So that's where I see uh, my spending some of this interim period. Um, and we'll see how long it will be because it is awfully tempting um, to spend some time looking at a mountain or walking up a hill. And and uh, you most definitely need need to do that, yeah. Um, and that makes me think that what you just said is related to what Arthur Brooks talks about, this synthesizing of knowledge, right? That people in the second part of their lives um, are are particularly that is one of one of our strengths. So, Sam, thank you so much for being so. Um, not just reflective, I've always known you to be reflective and I've always valued that about you, but you've also been uh, pretty um, honest, pretty candid about your inner state of mind, if you will, as you go through this transition into a next phase in life. Um, some people start calling it a third career or a fourth career or whatever, but I, I'm just going to call it the next uh, phase in life and in state of being. So thanks for that. Um, where should people go if they want to learn more about you? Well, you could find me on, on LinkedIn at uh, mm -hmm. Sam Worthington and sort of tied with, with interaction. And uh, perhaps that's the easiest way to get hold of me is through my LinkedIn address. And you are uh, pretty active there and people pay attention to what you're doing. So that's a pl good place to go. 
Thank you, Sam, for all your insights, as I said, and thank you, listeners. If you found this podcast episode stimulating, then be sure to check out some of the other episodes of my podcast. There are some that do focus just like this one on how we should lead ourselves, our internal states of minds, if you will, such as episode 41 with uh, Chris Pru at Umentum, where we discussed sabbaticals and what they do to our state of mind as a leader. You can find these episodes and more, not just on my website, fiveoaksconsulting.org, that is with the number five, but also on my YouTube channel. Subscribe to my email list and you will always be the first to be in the know. And with that, this is Tosca, and I look forward to spending time with you next time on NGO Soul and Strategy. Thanks for listening to my podcast. If you valued the content, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify so that other leaders of social change organizations can find it too. And if you want to learn more, have a look at my website, fiveoaksconsulting.org, where you will find blog posts, recordings of interviews with me, as well as information about my co-authored book, Between Power and Irrelevance the future of transnational NGOs. If you sign up for my email list, you will receive a free sneak peek at the book. Or feel free to email me at tosca at fiveoaksconsulting.org or contact me through my website. And follow me on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Till we talk again at NGO Soul and Strategy the podcast for NGO leaders and managers who look change right in the eye.